Hello, all you cartridge blowers out there. This is N64 Life with myself, Cliff Foster, aka the amazing Cliff, on the old Twitter, your guide through the world's greatest computer game console of all time, the Nintendo 64. Hello, 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 and how are you doing? Ah, dear. Well, I'm really hoping that this podcast is well not this one not the next one because you may well see that there's two in your timeline but you're on the right one stick with this one if you listen to the other one you would have just been guided over to this one to listen to this one first but we've got two podcasts back to back and i'm hoping now we go back to bi-weekly because as as you've known i've had a couple of months since about july time where it's just been a bit higgledy piggledy so i'm hoping now we get into a good flow of things until January when I go on holiday. So, welcome aboard. Welcome. Hello. And do you know what? As I said, you've been guided over here from another podcast. Because there's two out at the moment, if you haven't seen on your timeline. There's two sat there. You've been guided over from an exclusive chat with our special friend. Over to this one. Because this includes part of that chat. Not the whole chat. You can go and listen to him in a minute. But we've got a really special show today. With the mini history of Mario 64 and I've got a really special guest and that's Martin from now and then 64 so I it's gonna be a joy it's a joy to edit a joy to record and has been I mean it's a fair few weeks since I recorded <laughs> my bits with Martin to break the fourth wall but I'm really looking to listening back and pretty much almost real time to you guys how it works when i'm editing so i I sort of listen to the show as i go along so i sort of listen to it myself and it's always nice to hear people on the podcast and i have put out a little bit of a shout out and of people that want to join me on the show now there's a couple of people now that i've got pretty much penciled in so i've spoken to a couple of you via email or twitter um, some of you I haven't got back to. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about you. Um, for those that I have got back to, I will be getting back to you over the next coming months. Some dates to get you on the show. And if you want to be on your show yourself, then just drop me an email at n64lifepodcast at gmail.com. If there's a game, if there's a series, if there's a time in the N64's lifespan you want to talk about all your experiences with the N64 they let me know. Keep come on, come and send me an email. You could appear on your very own uh, player two enters the pod. You could appear on one of these mini histories. You could just appear randomly in a show. You just never know. You never know. If you don't ask, you don't know. And one thing that people do ask is on the old streams. Because if you listen to this on the Friday when it's released, oh yeah, uh, then tonight we've got a very big Halloween special. <laughs> um, with the, the, love the sound effects there. Uh, we <laughs> thanks thanks post edit Cliff. Um, we're gonna be playing uh, Resident Evil Two and Shadow Man. Oh, it's gonna be good. If you listen to this past Friday, there won't be a Sunday stream this week. Sorry, uh, other things have come up in the world of under consultation and things that I want to watch. I want to listen to as a fan. So 
Hey-o. Uh, come and join us over on this Twitch channel, though, N64 Life Podcast, where you can gain chat points and you can claim yourself a shout-out. These people have claimed themselves lovely shout-outs this time around. We've got Sean. Sean. Sean with his dad jokes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. No, we, we'll save that. We'll save that. Uh, we've got Amorpha. We've got Pink Lithium. We've got Agent underscore 616 Phil, who started streaming recently. Um, so I'm really, really proud of you, mate. Keep going. Keep going. Putting out some great stuff out there. Uh, we have Matty Boo Twitches. And for those that do go and watch Matty Vision, he's moving to a Saturday for a couple of weeks. Uh, just over a month uh, because Doctor Who uh, Flux is being released. So, yeah, go and give him a follow on Twitter, Twitter uh, Matty Boo Tweets, or on Twitch, on uh, Matty Boo Twitches. And we got JD, the bringer of the pain, our brilliant brilliant facilitator for our uh, pain timber that we just had we've got mish who's been on before misha uh, we got neil and we've got so iso 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 we've got one more name up there what's that say pocket ninja <laughs> sake no it's fire it's fire brimstone hang on let me put it out God's sake, why does her name keep cropping up? Putting it out, putting it out. Morpha, can you control her, please? She just pops in here, blows up my stuff. God's sake, I'm really looking forward to Got to get you guys back on the show. I love that little recording. We've got so much more to talk about. Gonna have to have a Quake special, aren't we? Definitely. Anyway, today's show, a mini history of Super Mario 64 with Martin from Now and Then 64. Uh, it's, and also, if you can listen straight away after this, you've got the full talk between me and Martin. Everything from, you know, we, we haven't gone into everything because guess what? We want, to, we want him back on the show at some point. But it's a great listen. So go and listen to that after you listen to this. However, mini history of Mario 64. Let's do this. Mario. Mario. God, how many podcasts have there been on this little plumber from Brooklyn? But, obviously, you don't want me to do, like, all the prior stuff for prior 1995, do you? You do. God's sake. Right. <gasps> 82. DK needed a protagonist. So he had a man called Jumpman join him. He was a carpenter. Uh, 1983, Jumpman became Mario in Mario Brothers. 1985 saw the release of Super Mario Brothers for the SNES, as well as Mario Brothers 2, or what's known as the Lost Levels in Europe, because as all America, because as we know, the Japanese war, we were too stupid for the real one. And we then got eventually our Mario Brothers 2, uh, which was a delightful little game. It was lovely. I really enjoyed it in 1988, um, as well as seeing Mario Brothers 3, which is by far my favourite Mario game. But that's another, that's another story. Um, 1989 saw the release of Super Mario Land for the Game Boy, as well as 1990 saw Super Mario World for the SNES get released. And 1992 saw Mario, Super Mario Land 2, the Golden Coins, which was a was a little introduction to the world of Wario. Yes, that lovely, lovely guy called Wario. Yes. Um, come on, go, go. We haven't got much time. We haven't got much time. Uh, Super Mario World 2 comes out uh, with Yoshi's Island, which is the game we saw covered on the last podcast. Oh, yeah. um, and then we have the introduction of Luigi, Toad, uh, Princess Toadstool, still Princess Toadstool, Bowser, King Cooper, Wario. We've had all of those characters introduced to us in that short, very brief period of time. Yes, and Donkey Kong. I suppose Donkey Kong as well. Yes, Donkey Kong. <sighs> Should we? Whew. Whew. That was a lot to go through. 
And to be honest, Mario is such an iconic character. We all have different memories of when we first encountered Mario. If that was for me, the NES, if that's for other people, the SNES or the TV show, um, the cartoon that appeared in the uh, early 90s. Um, there's so many different ways that people got into this. So let's introduce to you Martin from Now and Then 64 that's going to be helping me with his memories of what he can remember from Mario 64 and before. Yeah, um, well, it was funny because as a kid, I had a Mega Drive. I was I was a huge Sonic fan as a, as a, as a kid. When um, You know, I got a Mega Drive at the age of... I, it must have been Christmas when I was five, I guess. It must have been 1992. And so Mario really didn't enter my world until a little while later my, my cousin did have a snares and i do remember um playing super mario world and super mario all-stars on, on on the snares and and i do i do have a, a memory of super mario world being like really blowing me away you know i'd been playing sonic 2 and sonic and knuckles and stuff like that which and i love those games i've played them again recently and i still think they're absolutely fantastic but Mario World, which was in the same general, in fact, was released before any of those Sonic games, was streets ahead of it in terms of like the the level design, all the secret exits, all the the tricks and and, and secrets that you could uncover. And you know, when you think about those Sonic games, they're just very linear. You know, they're they're really fun to play, but you you go through one level, you go through the next level, you go through the next level, and the game's over. You know, um, whereas uh, Super Mario World was just this incredible like branching pathways and secret parts and you could you could get to the final boss in like half an hour if you wanted to because if you use the star road you, and that was just blowing my mind if you didn't want to go around and do all the levels so that game was definitely my first uh, memory i may i may have um, come across like the earlier the, the nes games prior to that but i don't recall ever playing them so it was definitely uh, that game that, that kind of brought it into my my consciousness Let's go into this game, Mario 64. Now, back in 1990, um, Miyamoto was trying to create a 3D world for the SNES after the creation of Star Fox. He wanted to have a feel of a computer game where it, was, it wasn't just a set path, almost like what he had achieved with, um, with the links of the part, the link of the past, um, he had achieved it very much on that 2D realm, but to create a fully immersive world, he had to go into the world of 3D. And he wanted it almost to feel like a model village. So if you if if we've all been there in the 90s when you go to the Isle of Wight or to Dorset or somewhere like that on holiday where you, you'll get this lovely massive model village where you can sort of look around and go really in depth and see this world as it is. And that's what Miyamoto wanted this Mario game to feel like. A game with no rails. No, not as if it's stuck on a train track of going from A to B. And a full 3D experience. So Argonaut Software. Huge, huge, huge influential company to the world of gaming. Um, we'll go very much in depth into them when we do a mini history of Star Fox 64 slash Lilac Wars. But without, without uh, Argonauts, it's very hard to see where the 3D console gaming was coming from. 
because they created the Super FX chip. So we'll do a brief history now, and that is pretty much they tried to create a 3D game for a Game Boy. Um, it was seen by um, it was seen by Nintendo. They thought this is bloody brilliant. Can you help us create a game for our Super Nintendo? Um, and then created the Super FX chip of the back of that, as well as Star Fox slash Star Wing. And it was a revolutionary game, and it's one of those games that stand out in your head. It's definitely that 3D element, that 3D environment. You get lovers of Star Fox. You get people that don't like Star Fox. I'm in the love category. However, it is one of those games that stand out in your head. And because they have built that really, really lovely relationship with Nintendo, like a lot of developers had at the time, like Rare, like DMA Design, they, they, they had the trust of Nintendo. And I think that they, they took that trust and they went and created... This, this, I haven't ever seen the images of it, but this 3D world with Yoshi that would roam around this 3D world and really showed to Nintendo what they could do. Uh, it was shown to Miyamoto and he, they pretty much Nintendo said, yeah, not for us. Thank you very much. And Argonaut took their idea and created Croc Legend of the Gabos, which was released in 1997 on the PlayStation, the PC, the Saturn, and the Game Boy Color. There's a new adventure hero in games, Croc. Join Croc as he runs, jumps, swims, climbs, pushes, stomps, and jelly jumps his way through a breathtaking 3D adventure. Help Croc through 50 amazing levels as he faces hordes of villains and obstacles. From swarming sharks and giant bees to slippery glaciers and hot lava, Croc, Legend of the Gobos. For PlayStation, Sega Saturn, and Windows 95. Now, I've put a little trailer in there because... They went off and they created their idea. Fantastic. They, they've got their idea of what a 3D world should be. But the major thing is, is what, not that it was stolen. There was I don't think there's any language that would suggest that anything was stolen here. But off of their designs of this Yoshi world, I think very much Nintendo, Miyamoto were, were inspired by what they had seen or influenced by what they had seen. And... You know, you look at Legend of the Gabos, and it's it's not a bad platformer. It's not a bad platformer, but you haven't got the might of Mario behind you. And it does make you think, is there an influence here? Um, I will leave it up to you to decide. But Jeremy Elliott, founder of Argonaut Software, said that Miyamoto-san came up to me at a show afterwards and apologized for not doing the Yoshi game with us and thanked us for the idea of to do a 3D platform game. As I said, I will leave it up to you how influenced Miyamoto was with Argonaut's idea. It's fair to say Super Mario 64 did a little bit better than Croc, but hey-ho, <laughs> let's not start the PlayStation Nintendo Warrior. Anyway, Miyamoto, this was going to be his baby. This was his launch title for his new console for the uh, the Ultra 64. And he made to make sure that this game was spot on. This was going to shift the units. This was going to make Nintendo 
completely still the kings of innovative design and pushing boundaries at minimal cost is the best way of putting it how nintendo tend to do it and i i think that they did achieve this but we'll come into that in a second because the, miyamoto did he set out a plan so he set out a plan that it would be a three-year cycle he's got three years to design this the first year will be design and look into the how it's going to look, how it's going to feel, um, the character designs, things on those lines. And then in the second year, they're going to map out of how Mario is going to interact with that world, how the levels are going to be. And to do that, what they did was they created Mario. They created how he's going to look. They created his body. He created so many moves like literally they bombarded him with 20 250 different animations and only 200 of those made it into the game which still astonishing at the time that mario was going to have that many different animations because it needed it because it needed to make sure that it, mario was going to interact whatever the players the player wanted mario to do and to do that, they had to try and figure out what he could interact with. So they created like a just a like a grid, basic grid, and for Mario to go and interact and go and move and make sure that in Mario was going to behave like Mario should. So they created someone to go and interact with him, and that was Mips. Now Mips was a rabbit, a little yellow rabbit, and he was given the name Mips um, in homage to the microprocessor. Uh, the revolutionary microprocessor that is inside every single one of those N64s. Um, and basically, if it wasn't for MIPS, we wouldn't have the Mario's free flow. I mean, like, it's astonishing that that is a launch title. How Mario moves is brilliant. We go into camera later, but how Mario moves himself is absolutely astonishing. And he would stick around in the game. They'd go and stick him down in the basement. So if you've played the game, you will know that you can get two stars off of him if you catch him. Um, you catch him on two separate different occasions. And they kept him in the game, which I thought was really nice. So the new uh, the, the new challenges with 3D, um, as we just sort of brushed on there, the major ca challenge that they had was the camera. Now, they had designed this n64 controller and obviously people that want to shoot down the n64 will always bring up that it's the most unnatural controller to handle you need free hands to do it for certain games i agree but the main argument towards this get this controller being and i'm holding one in my hands now look you can hear it oh interactive it is a good controller but for how modern gamers want to use a controller maybe not so and the major thing is is that they had to try and figure out how the camera was gonna move around this 3d world around mario and i thought they came up with a really good concept with the cameraman constantly recording him but you'll be able to control where that cameraman's doing by the c buttons so the c buttons were completely new to the nc uh, any console before the c buttons were very much used in the early lifespan of the console for camera use uh, as we described in the mini history of zelda it was the zelda 64 originally it was gonna it was using the same uh engine 
as Super Mario 64 was uh, to basically be able to control that camera around him. Now, at times, it's not perfect. And obviously, Zelda completely revolutionized that with the Z targeting, uh, being able to center your camera at all times with that Z targeting. And But this was a completely different world. And I think that, you know, to turn around and say, oh, well, the camera angle, yada, 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 was Superman, Super Mario 64, it just... You can't say it. It's such a revolutionary game for that. And the man behind it was Takui uh, Koigi. And basically, he was the guy behind that sort of... It, it, it basically, yeah, it, he, was the, he was the guy that created that camera system. From that sort of 2.5D, which was... There was a... You know, the, in early development, they looked at 2.5D. They looked at side down, maybe similar to how they did the RPG Mario game. Um, it, it was, yeah, it, they were looking at almost having it so that the design of the camera and where the camera would be positioned would be very similar to what we would see the final Bowser bosses to be. So on the level, on the way to Bowser. So that's how it was almost going to look, where it was almost, I would say, Kirby 64. That you, you, You're in the 3D world, but he's very much on a flat 2D plane. So it, was, it looked at that at one point, but the whole point of what they wanted to do with this was they wanted it to be in a completely immersive 3D world. And to do that, he needed to be on a 3D plane. And not just in a 3D plane, but different levels with different environments and inside those environments actually have different challenges and that was collecting these gold stars and that made this mario game completely different to any other mario game it wasn't just from a to b this was that you could come back to this every level and complete it a slightly different way every time and every level had its own quirks. Every level had its own environment and its own character. Especially if you're looking at the sort of widening contrast to Boo's Haunted Mansion. To, let's say, the snow levels of going down and chasing after penguins. Yes, everyone killed the little penguin. You're all evil and you're all going to hell. You've got so many different levels and so many different outcomes you you're having to shoot to the stars to get to the stars get it hey eh? that was quite good um you're having to get to the outside of buildings to get to the stars you're gonna have to defeat bosses to get to the stars race turtles to get to the stars collect red coins to get to the stars i mean you have to free big bonbons uh to get uh, bonbons bonbons anyway big free big animals to go and get get those stars i mean it made you think out of the box and it made you look at how you could interact with the environment if that's getting the shell of the turtles to race around but there's so many different so many different ways of getting stars that you could collect but and there's so many different favorites you could have but what was your favorite what was your favorite star what was your favorite way of playing this game because that's another way is that these environments also made it so every game you had to every every level every part you had to play it slightly differently and it's created this almost speed running culture off of it as well i always liked ones where it felt like you were applying 
Mario's move set in a, in a way that kind of felt like you'd achieved something. I and mm. and so the ones that really the, the first one that I thought of was um, on Cool Cool Mountain. There's wall kicks will work where you've got to do some quite nifty jumping and wall kicking in order to get to it. Not to mention then cross a very uh, narrow ice bridge at the end to, mm. to get to it as well. So I um yeah I liked uh, I liked ones like that where you were kind of having to show a little bit of uh, aptitude for the for the for the jumping and things like that because it can be a little bit finicky and then I, th- I think there's just a couple of ones that I just like because of how weird they are and how unexpected and and kind of offbeat they are so in so in Womp's fortress you suddenly get this uh uh thing after you've done a, a couple of stars where an owl appears in a tree and and it's one of these ones, you, and it's easy to think of it now because you, we're both really familiar with the game. But when you were playing it for the first time, how would you know to even climb that tree? The, I, you, I, you have to hit the tree in order to get the owl to appear, but you would probably just go past that tree because you've never used it in the in the other stars. So there's, there were so many bits to Mario 64 that I only knew, and I think the owl was one of them, 100%, because I'd read it in N64 magazine. Yeah, yeah, that or like a strategy only, guide or something, yeah. Yeah, I, I just remember seeing it appear, or I was over a friend's house, and they said, did you know you could do this? Yeah. Um, a lot of it ha- came from there, you know, because obviously your love for Mario 64 is very much my love for Ocarina of Time. You know, Ocarina of Time, though, I dissect it. You know what I mean? I wanted to find it. The hours I put into my first ever run-through. Because I'm similar to you. I think I've completed Ocarina of Time about 15 times, I would say. Um, and that's fully completed. Um, but, yeah, with Mario 64, I've never got 120 stars. Never. Uh, we need to get you on that, firstly. We're going to need to rectify it, that soon. It's, but... it's going to be a stream at some point, but I've never done it. I think it, I think one of the things about Mario 64 because it was really the first major game to mm. have this open style. You know, we we're, we're going to give you a playground, go and figure it out. You know, we're going to give you a clue at the start, you get the mm-hmm. name of the star, and some of those titles for those stars are pretty obvious and some of them are not at all. Some of them are really weird and like and 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 when you think back as I say it's it's quite easy to forget this now that I know the game as well as I do. But in 1996 or 1997, without a strategy guide, how would you know, for example, you go and do Peach's secret slide, okay? You jump through the window, you go down the slide, you get the star at the end, it's in the box. You're like, okay, well, that's that done. Well, firstly, you, you wouldn't necessarily even know to go and uh, to jump through that window, but let's just say you tried it and found the slide. You did, did the slide, you got the star. How could you possibly know that there is a second star in there? Mm-hmm that you can only get by doing that slide in under 21 seconds. You, there is no clue to that whatsoever. Um, I never got that star. So the never. only... But, but what I think it is, is the game designers actually correctly said, I think players will want to see how quickly they can do that slide. And so, they, and so they're going to try it out, and somebody's going to stumble across that by accident, and they're just going to go, oh, there's another star for doing that. Cool. So I think... A lot of the stars kind of reward that exploration and and, and just trying things and just like, what, does this work? I don't know. There, there's th- <laughs> th- there's other smaller things. There's 
um, you know, in, in Bob and Battlefield and, and probably a couple of other levels, there are like um, tree stumps, right? And, and, and if you run around them in a circle, coins pop out. How, but you have to run around it like three times. How could you possibly... Who would do that? Why? So it's just all these weird little things. And that's sort of one of the things I really love about the game in general. That is just the, this slightly um, random approach to it. Where, where things that aren't really told to the player. I mean, there might be if you read every single sign in the game. But who the hell's got time for that? <laughs> or speak that the only time i would the only reason why i spoke to toad was because one time he gave you a star so I was yeah. like, well he must give you more stars at some point yeah but all that makes you all that makes you do is talk to every toad but skip through their dialogue till the end to see if they give you a star and if they don't you're like you're useless to me i've got, I've got no use for this guy get the hell out of here get back in the walls <laughs> <laughs> but no as i said i think you know a lot of that comes down to like the the developers never had had the freedom that they had with any other game this is one of the first games of its kind that they were able to just make these maps that people can navigate and negotiate and just walk around them freely it wasn't like any other mario game before where it was start at a finish at b or Here's the map to get to there. Here's some hidden bits so you can skip A, B, C, D, E, F, G out and get all the way to the end. You know, that was that was there from the start. But this game took that adventure into a whole new level. Whole new level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, 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 the, and the freedom to approach tasks the way that you want to do them. The, the, mm. the, the cage star in Womp's Fortress that I mentioned that has the owl... I've seen four or five completely distinct ways of doing that star. Like I've seen mm. people use the cannon and get their trajectory just right and drop down into it. I've seen people climb the tower on the top and, and long jump from it into the cage. Yeah. People drop in from the owl, which I assume is the way they thought you would do it. Um, uh -huh. I've seen I've seen speedrunners do like um, like backwards long jumps up and then like wall kick into it and and stuff like that. It's, so it's there's the, there's so many ways to approach and so many stars where some of them you know have to be done in a pretty prescribed way but but others where you can actually uh express yourself and 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 choose how you approach those those challenges mm, completely and one of those things about that sort of uh, the, you know the open world of the castle would be that you felt like you were finding something very unique very like oh no one else knows about this i remember what finding the so when you start to get the sunshine come through in the main lobby looking at it and then go oh like that when you're transported to get in the wing cap and yeah. you're going oh my god i have broken through and i remember going to school and tell it all my friends of i figured out how to get the wing cap you and they're like yeah 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 and yeah, we yeah. already did it <laughs> we, we, we did it ages wow yeah. pulled the rug out was, from under you yeah no literally completely underneath me i did it with them with ocarina of time all the time but with that i, I remember being so excited so excited to tell someone um with the caps though because obviously with the caps with the power-ups they're very different again compared to what they had ever done with any other mario game no stars uh, apart from the ones that you're collecting you know no none of that sort of traditional element of you know uh, of the ha the power-ups that they had before um what was your favorite power-up out of the three I thought they were really un underused. I think if there's if there's mm. one criticism I've got of the game, or I've got a couple of a couple of criticisms, but one of them is 
uh, is that they didn't really use them that well, particularly the Vanish Cap. I thought there was the potential to do some really interesting stuff with that um, that they never really got. <coughs> um, I think it's pretty hard to look past the Wing Cap because mm. you've got this these 3D open worlds um, and to be able to soar around them fly around them and, and explore them from the air and sort of see everything from a completely different vantage point. I think um, it's quite difficult to look past that. And, you know, uh, getting the the ability at the end, which you've never had, of being, oh, no, am I going to spoil this for you? You, you, you do know no, what happened. I know. Yeah, I know. Okay, all right. Yeah. It's, been, it's been 25 years, hasn't it? Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so at the end, you obviously get the ability to use the cannon and shoot up to the, the roof of the castle. Um you get a little Easter egg with, with, with Yoshi there, and Yoshi. then you've got a wing cap up on the roof, and you can fly around these castle grounds, which you started out in these castle grounds, and it's probably taken you the first time you did it quite a while to get to 120 stars. So you're like, oh, my God, this this little playground area that they gave that I just got used to running and jumping in initially, I can now sort of fly around it. So I think I think pretty easily the, the wing cap is... is the, the best one the the one that gets the most use the one that gets the best use i think the others uh, are, are are a little bit underused but i do think there's one really good star in diodia docks where you have to use both the metal cap and the vanish cap at the same time um mm-hmm. and then sink down it's it's called collect the caps i think actually um mm-hmm. and i thought that was quite cool that you've now got okay we've got to use them together that was that was interesting and, and actually that kind of almost makes the point of well, it would have been good to have two. What about one where you have to have the um, the wing cap and the vanish cap together? Mm. Because you've got to fly. Maybe you've got to do some nifty flying through a course, and and that t- and you have to have the vanish cap as well because you've got to go through some walls or something like that. You know, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a shame that they didn't do a little more of that kind of thing. Now, the one thing that people do remember quite fondly about Mario 64 is the 3D head at the beginning. I mean, I I think I remember. So basically, I got home from school on my um, on my 12th birthday, and we went and got my N64. I had Mario 64 and had GoldenEye on uh, the day that I bought it, and I spent. A good 10 minutes pulling Mario's head from left, right, and center. And it, it was it was originally... Um, it, it, that idea was originally going to be used for Mario Paint. For... One, one podcast. One podcast. I will escape this thing. The 64DD. So that was the original idea where they were going to use that Mario head to pull about. Um, and... It's it's definitely still an iconic moment of gaming. That that beginning sequence, it, it could have easily just. It, it, to be honest, it's a throwaway part of the game, really, isn't it? It's just at the beginning, and if it was part of a uh, 64-22 game for a Mario Paint game, it, it would have been possibly more of a a defining factor of you know Mario Paint, but. It's one of those things that people still talk about to this day. And it, it stands out, and it's it's such a clever little thing to add in there. Now, there are a few firsts for this Mario game. And one of them is this 
gentleman here. Hello, it's -a me, Mario. Woohoo! I'm Charles Martinet. Welcome to my home. This is my little pink house in Sausalito, California. I travel all around the world doing my voiceover work and other work, but this is home. <laughs> well, I started doing acting when I left college, went out to a drama school and started studying, and then I went to the Drama Studio of London in London to, to learn how to be a professional actor, a manly actor. <laughs> and uh, started doing voiceover just as a natural progression to that. We're having fun! And then along came this fabulous character called Mario. And I've been doing that for the last 12 years. I crashed the audition. It was the first and only audition in my life I've ever just crashed. And I got there and I said, oh, can I just audition for this? And the producer said, well, okay. This is real time, so you're an Italian plumber from Brooklyn. You'll be talking to kids all day. Uh, roll tape and action. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what, what kind of a voice does this have? Is it one of those, hey, I'm a plumber from Brooklyn, so And I thought, no, no, no. I don't want a character that's, that's mean or gruff or has edges. I want it to be someone who is lovable and a sort of everyman character. Let's party! And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what does that sound like? And all of a sudden, what popped out of my mouth was, hello, it's -a me. Mario! Woohoo! The first game I did the voiceover was Super Mario 64! Woohoo! And then uh, right from there we did uh, Mario Kart. I love that one because it was fun to do Mario, Wario, Luigi, Waluigi. Mario Golf. With the baby Mario. Whack! Mario Tennis. And uh, Luigi's Mansion, Super Smash Brothers Melee, Super Mario Party. And now, Super Mario Sunshine! Woohoo! <laughs> I think Mario is such an iconic character because he really represents something that we all want to be. Just an everyday guy who falls in love with a princess and saves the world and saves the island and has this wonderful adventure in life doing it. When you do voiceover, it's like you're a dog running after a ball. You just do it. You don't pay attention to what you're doing. You don't be as self-conscious. You just go and do it. Everybody loves Mario games. There's a loyalty and a fan base that once you play Mario games, you always go back. And that's the, one of the great joys of doing the voice is I know people love that character. I'm Charles Martinet, the voice of Mario, saying thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> He's so iconic now. Like, literally, I would say before this, you if you would turn around someone and say, do an impression of Mario. You know, it would have been maybe the Super Mario Brothers show, uh, the, the very sort of paisano, you know, that very uh, New Yorker accent that they gave for that, that very Brooklyn accent. But now, I mean... Every time you ask anybody in the street, do me a Mario impression, nine times out of ten, you get a, it's a me, Mario. Um, you, <laughs> you, you get these comments and the wah, wahoo, wah, you know, you get, it's his voice. Mario, he is Mario now. By far, he is Mario. And also, it's saw Leslie uh, Swan play Princess Toadstool. Um, now, the first with Princess Toadstool, she talks at the beginning of the game, she wasn't known as Princess Toadstool. This is the first game 
that Princess Toadstool is referred to as Peach. Um, which fascinated me and I went back and I thought, May maybe I'm wrong with this. But no, this is the first time that Princess Toadstool is referred to as Peach. Um, which is fascinating. You also get Yoshi. Um, at the so in the development of this game, you get a 3D Yoshi at the end. So if you don't know already, he's up on top of the castle. But... They were going to make it so you could ride around Yoshi, but they decided against it. And also, they did have Luigi in this game as well. They did have Luigi in the game as well. Um, it was going to be a two-player co-op, um, but they decided against it. And nowadays, you can get, for the Year Ever Drive, a two-player Super Mario 64. And if you haven't ever played it, go and pick it up. It's sometimes a bit laggy, but I tell you what, it's good It's it's good fun. And it shows, actually, it's such a shame that they didn't decide to continue on with it. Now, the music, the music created for this game is loved by so many people. The music is atmospheric it's it's lovely how it sort of just takes that old melodies and completely transforms them into something new and then there's new stuff in there as well i mean like you know you've got so many different elements that if that's the underwater theme if that's the the classic the ding 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 yeah that one um, I, I think it, it, there's so many elements of this music that is just goes into this game just so beautifully and so perfectly. And uh, obviously, one of those big things is the end credits. The end credit music is just mwah, chef kiss. The, the music in Mario 64 is uh, like the soundtrack is, is pretty unbelievable, I think. When you listen actually to... Um, how they basically had one tune and mm -hmm. just change you know you got that um the bob on battlefield theme is the same tune as the cool cool mountain theme just with, a, with like a, a different arrangement basically different instrumentation um and and it's the same as the slide tune as well you know that mm -hmm. and it's that um and it's, and all of these share this common um sound and if you and i didn't even realize that for for the longest time it took ages for me to be like actually they're kind of similar aren't they um i think the the, the only thing is that towards the end of the game that it was almost like they ran out of tracks and they and they were i, I don't know i don't know if it was if I, I suspect it probably was like a, a, a matter of space yeah and and so you've got like rainbow ride that uses the slide theme tiktok clock uses the slide theme yeah um you, you know like uh, the, a lot of those later levels like repeating the same um themes again which it, it does, puts a little bit of a dampener on it but uh, apologies if i if i'm step, step on your toes here i don't know if you were going to come on to this but one thing i do want to mention is the music that plays on the end credits because that is i bar I none I I may have just dragged you to water with that one because I know <laughs> your love for all that piece of music. Well, allow me to drink. Um, <laughs> drink and, for yeah. the water.
everybody. Let's bake a delicious cake for Mario. Um, it's, uh, yeah, bar none, like my favorite piece of video game music ever. It's, it's so, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It just really, really gets you. And, and I think it's that feeling of, oh my God, I have, have finished the game, I have achieved because you'd have to have at least 70 stars unless you're a speedrunner doing a glitchy thing or whatever. And, um, yeah, I, I just I just love it so much. So I, I just think that is just a, a transcendent piece of music that, that um, is just, it's just absolutely brilliant. So, 1995 rolls around, and frankly, the N64, the Ultra 64, is ready. The console is ready to launch and to release into the world, like Saturn had and the PlayStation had. But, they, <sighs> Miyamoto wasn't happy. Miyamoto wanted to make sure that when this game was launched, it came out with the perfect Mario game. And it was pushed back several times. Um, so it, the problem that they had was they had some issues with the carts and um, with the compression side of things. So they, they were still confident on the compression and that they could get it all in there. But they did really have some issues with this. To the point of that there was... There were 32 courses designed, but not all of them made the cup because they couldn't get them all inside the cup. And Miyamoto wanted to make it perfect for good reason. And that was because Nintendo had a rival, but the rival decided not to create its biggest EP against it. Now, Sa Sega. Sega had the Saturn out. And Sega knew that a Mario game was going to come out. So we, it's obvious where Sega should have gone to battle Mario. The, the mascot that destroyed Mario time after time after time. But they didn't do that. They didn't go for their hedgehog with attitude. They decided to go for a 2.5D experience with a game called Knights. There's never been a game like Sega Saturn's Knights. Never been a game that's allowed you to fly, fluid and free, in real-time 3D. Never not anywhere. But especially not on that other system. Simply because, with only one processor, it doesn't have the power to do it. Fly, Playmate, fly. You're not ready. Ah, Sega! Now, Knights isn't a bad game, and it has a huge cult following, and it is an enjoyable game. But it's very much 
sticking to the past for me. And it's, it's almost it's almost just the embodiment of that Sega of America versus Sega of J Japan disputes that were happening at that time. Like, Sonic was not allowed to be unleashed on the Saturn. He, it just, he wasn't allowed to be completely freed on the Saturn. He had to wait until the Dreamcast to get to, uh, Sonic Adventure. I mean, it is such a shame. And I think that I'm not going to put this all down to Sega's downfall, but it, it's got to be considered one of the reasons. Now, we know that Sonic had attitude, and that's what people loved about Sonic. He had the attitude. He wasn't just, oh, I'm a plumber from Brooklyn. He was, it was, it was that Sonic had this coolness to him. So that them not releasing Sonic at that time didn't just give uh, Mario a bit of a boost. It also gave this little bugger a boost as well. Fear not, plumber boy. The bandicoot will come. I'm coming to get you, pal. Hi, how are you? Am I on the right street? Can can you tell me where Nintendo is? People run a lot here. This is really nice. Plumber boy, your time has come. Hey, plumber boy, mustache man, your worst nightmare has arrived. Pack up your stuff. I got a little surprise for you here. Check it out. What do you think about that? We got real time, 3D, lush organic environments. How's that make you feel, buddy? Feel a little like your days are numbered? I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. You're hurting my elbow. Is that Italian? No, Bandicoot, it's an Australian name. Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> Who thought that Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot was a member of Degeneration X? Hey-ho, um, Crash Bandicoot. Which was a complete, it was a 3D experience. And it was a completely new character created by Naughty Dog. But, it, it, you know, Miyamoto actually has come out and said, this game was not a 3D experience. It was still on rails, which it is. But it's a challenging game, but it was a cool game. That was, that was the major thing behind Crash, was Crash was cool. But this is the thing, is that even though he had... Uh, I think if, if Sonic had come out, I think that Mario would have had a real, 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 real competitor to it. But it didn't. Because on launch, June 1996, we saw the launch of uh, not just uh, Mario 64, but we also saw the launch of the Ultra 64, or now known as the N64, the Nintendo 64 console. You saw that launch, and to put it frank, it succeeded, and it whooped both Knight and Crash Bandicoot's asses because it sold 11.9 million copies. Now, that is ridiculous. Not only did it sell double the amount that the Sega CD had, it sold 2 million more copies than its next competitor on its same console, which was Mario Kart 64. 2 million cons copies more. But this is the define ipso facto defining thing with, the, with Mario 64. It was the best-selling game of the fifth generation of consoles. So 
it's but it's without doubt the best selling game for the PlayStation, for the N64, for the Saturn, uh, the 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 ultimate 3D Genesis. Excuse the pun. This isn't a Sega podcast, but the Genesis of the 3D generation and Mario 64 came out top and I mean its legacy still lives on now its legacy still lives on with being able to be re-released on even the modern console of the Switch and still gain a, a fan base now I mean like to the point of that you still see GIFs and uh, memes of people throwing the baby penguin off the edge. Yes, everyone did it. You all did it. You're all going to hell. You all threw off the baby uh, penguin off the edge. You still see gifts and memes of that to this day. We still talk about the, the famous moments behind this game. In the UK, you had one of the biggest TV moments of all time with Dave Perry completely ballsing it up. Um, now, you have actually said on the show you are the greatest games player in Britain. What happened? What went wrong? Well, I think I've been set up fairly badly here today. Right. And in particular, what reason? I think having a final game where one player owns the game and the machine and one player doesn't isn't in the interests of fair play. Uh-huh. OK, then. So uh, what you're saying, Dave, is the biggest game of this year. You haven't played much. It's not released till next year. I'll play it next year when it's released in this country. Okay, you are a journalist. We can get it on import. Not a journalist. I'm a marketing manager. (laughs) You're welcome, Undercontestation Lot. You had moments like this. Super Mario 64 will stick in the the psyche of the gamer until all time. Even Twitch... At this current moment in time, you can more than likely go on Twitch now and find someone blindfolded trying to do Super Mario 64. You can see people doing time runs. To, I mean, like, the speedrunning community on Mario 64 is humongous. This week alone, this week when we're recording this, Mario 64 has come out for the second time on the Switch. First of all, a part of a 3D complimation, which is, it was the genesis of that 3D Mario, but also now on the N64's own Switch channel. Now, there's so many different ways to play this, and I think that this community has grown, and like people wanting to speedrun and find the quickest way of getting every star. I think I've probably done 120 stars on Mario 64, uh, probably about 15 times, I would guess, which is not that wow. often in a it's not that often in a 25 year period, but it's quite a few, I guess. It's enough to know the game pretty well, like the back of your hand, I guess. Mm. And so I think, like, when I get into it, I know that I can go. I know I'll be able to go and get the first four or five in Bob on Battlefield within probably 10 minutes. You know, so I, I can definitely like churn through the first chunk of them pretty um pretty quickly um it's still pretty i still find it challenging late on in the game you know rainbow ride tiktok clock are not easy levels uh even after a few playthroughs so um you know i still it's, it's not like i can breeze through the whole thing i'm definitely not anything like a speed runner i want to make that clear and speedrunning <laughs> was one of the things I was going to talk to you about later on, but yeah. um, <laughs> but but I'm definitely not. But what I will say is, having watched a few speedrunners, there are little bits of strategy that I noticed the last time I played Mario 64, which is back in the summer. Um, 
suddenly I, there was a couple of stars that I did slightly differently based on things I'd seen speedrunners do that weren't like backwards long jump glitching through a wall kind of thing it was just, it was just like <laughs> yeah. if you go down here and kick off the it was things that I could have figured out on my own if I thought about it it would be it, like um there's the star in uh Womp's Fortress which I and I think it's the shoot into the wild blue where you have to just get in the cannon it's a pretty easy star you jump in the cannon you fire yourself onto a pole drop down and there's the star next to you but actually the way the speedrunners do it is to run down to the bottom part of that level where the blue coin switch is and just uh, side flip and wall kick up to it, and it's and it takes like half the time. Um, I've seen few people do that, and I've tried to give it a go, and I can't do it. <laughs> it's pretty, it's, it's, so that's just like one thing that, I, and I'm now like, oh my god, I've, I've taken my my first step into the speedrunning thing. I, I never ever want to learn. We talked about it on stream a couple of times. I was like, I don't ever want to learn how to speed run Mario 64 because I would never ever want to lose the feeling of being able to play that game yeah. normally and you'd never be able to go back like once you've learned how to do the all the fancy gubbins that they can do you'd never you'd never be able to go back to playing it normally really it would feel weird I think so do I think it's the best platformer for this console well you're gonna have to wait and find out because I will give you a heads up on this this game will be fighting out in a battle for Jinjos in the future. But you're going to have to wait. Because by Jinjo, it's got a rival. The only rival to this game. Not Crash Bandicoot. Not Knights. There is only one rival to this game of this generation gonna have to wait for that thank you very much for listening to my mini history of mario 64 much for to playing my game. But that was fun. That was fun. It's, it was a bit brighter than some of the mini histories I've done before. <laughs> but it's the love that, you know, you hear the love Martin has for this game in his voice. It's just, it's, and that's how a lot of people feel towards Super Mario 64. Without doubt, it is one of the best games of all time. And it's going to be fun to come back with Martin and come back and visit this and see if it was. And it would be nice to get a few of you involved with that as well. But that will be coming in the future. That's not yet. That's like the ultimate battle for Jinjos. I've already done one of the ultimates for the first ever episode. I had to get out of the way and done with that was Timber Tiger Racing, hashtag Justice for Timber. It's not Diddy Kong Racing, versus Mario Kart 64. I had to get that one done first. But there's one huge battle we've got coming up. But if you haven't already listened to it, which you're naughty, because I told you not to, told you to listen to this one first, 
if you haven't listened to it already, go and listen to Player Two Enters a Pod. Me and Martin talking at full. You've got bits from this one in there as well, but go and listen to that in its fullest. It's a it's a hell of a lovely chat, and we have left so much open for the future. Left so much open for the future. So obviously, as I said, you've you've got that chat to go and listen to. But let's announce what the next podcast will be. We're going back to some battle for Jinjos. Yes. <laughs> and it's annoying because everything that's delayed me. This should be the Halloween special, but it's not going to be coming out over Halloween. But hey ho, we're gonna do it. I'm, I, did, I was going to save it. I thought well, I'd maybe save it for next year instead, but I'll do it. I'll be nice to you. Bit of scary, scary, scary. Whoa, spooky. We're going to have a spooky show. And these two games will be fighting off against each other. But what's the spookiest? Oh, it's just all the spookies. Resident Evil 2. Oh, this is going to be a fun one to look back on. Because this has a story. But Resident Evil 2. And it will be facing off against... Shadow Man 64. Ah, both cross-platform ones as well. So that's nice. It's nice beating those people that are just not... Not just fans of the N64, eh? Hey, we're going to have some fun. We're going to do a bit of badging, Joes, for that, shall we? If you want to get hold of me, obviously at the normals of N64 Life Podcast. Uh, that's on Twitter. That's on the old Instagram. And that's on the old Twitch. And we will be streaming most Friday and Sundays from 8.30 till 11. So come and join us. Come and join the lovely community there. And also, if I get to 300 followers, I have to play Batman of the Future slash uh batman beyond in its entirety yes we've got 100 goals we've got project reality check and if you gain enough chat points you you can make it so i have to play superman uh superman 64 you can you can do that <laughs> and once i have completed that game there'll be a special podcast coming out of that so yes please 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 come and join us over there also we have our discord channel which is in the show notes below uh come and join the discord community they're bloody lovely uh most of them are apart from sean who just tells bad dad jokes sorry about that martin that he's invaded yours and if you want to get a hold of us via email, then please n64lifepodcast at gmail.com. Well, that's it. Another show, another mini history done. And I shall see you very soon if you're just about to listen to the next one straight away. But for anybody else, I shall see you very, very soon. <laughs>